the subject for the evening talk is the finding of wisdom. Uh, yesterday uh, evening, I was meeting with uh, a, a good friend and a good friend of IMS, one of the guiding teachers, Larry Rosenberg, who is at the uh, Insight Meditation Center in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And we were having some discussion about the, the world of the Dharma. And as a number of you know and will be aware, that um, rather traditionally there has been two views which have been, um, a view rather, which has been um, expressed. And this view has, in a way, entered from one generation to another, and rarely in the historical processes, rarely been really questioned. What I have in mind here is the gap and the distance between monastic life and um, lay life, householders' uh, life. And the, the view was cultivated rather assiduously that if one practiced hard and long enough, if one was really serious about Dharma practice, then it would inevitably lead to becoming a monk, to becoming a nun, to renunciation. And this view particularly from the ordained order, does at times still get expressed. And with it, it has a certain um, undermining impact and influence on people's life and spiritual practice. And that view is softening, is, is changing significantly. And in the change which is uh, taking place, there is a recognition that people's love of dharma, love of spiritual practices and uh, explorations, in a growing number of cases, matters more than the role, matters more than the particular kinds of identities that you and I have in our day-to-day um, -day life. Something else deeply, deeply matters, which needs to and can inform the roles that we have. And so the role and identity in its social form or in its religious form then begins to matter much less because one is touched and being touched by something, something else, which this we call uh, Dharma, spiritual life, depth of awareness. In that, Again, questions um, arise and arise uh, regularly, and I'll touch upon some aspects of that uh, in the talk tomorrow. But more importantly is the relationship to uh, our experiences here and the way that we um, work with the experiences which unfold for us. And in that, there are, of course, a tremendous range of spiritual uh, experiences which arise. And 
I think there are two aspects, and some of you in the small groups and one-to-ones in the last uh, day or two have been touching upon this. And one might also say it's as though there are almost two kinds of people, in spiritual terms. There is one kind of person who has regularly, sometimes with effort or without effort, a tremendous range of experiences. He or she will look back over their retreat and will speak of, and I'm not talking of um, the, the painful and the, the experiences which give anguish to the mind, but a range of, ex- range of experiences which shows a fluidity, it shows a receptivity, and experiences which is a kind of sensitivity towards things which open up the mind and a sense in a, of a slightly different way or dramatically different way from normal. There was a brief reference to this in the inquiry uh, that this afternoon. Some sense that there's relationships and roles taking place within the context of the situation here and the movements and the interactions of hearts and minds together, but some sense, some experience of something bigger which is going on, which we can't quite comprehend. We can't kind of articulate it. It's that kind of experience sometimes when one just looks up at the stars at night and feels the sense of awe or wonder. One goes goes into the forest and and the diversity of sentient life existing, coexisting, in all the ways that it does. And the other spontaneous gestures of life or the meditative gestures of, of life. And some people have a range and variety and uh, considerable access to this spectrum of experiences which are not painful on the one side. They're not um, assiduously cultivated in a purposeful way uh, uh, on the other, um, but they're, shall we say, out of the ordinary. They're out of the ordinary. And being experiences as they are, whether experiences of the heart, whether experiences of uh, depths of absorption, whether experiences about life and its expansiveness, they, of course, they arise in time and they pass in time and can have considerable influence upon our perceptions. And one of the values for those who do have exposure to a a variety and range of experiences in life is that it helps to put the ordinary and everyday mind into some kind of perspective. It helps to put the movement of ourself into some kind of viewpoint, just as I said, when sometimes we go out and look in the vast openness of the countryside, or we have a a sense in the city as tens of thousands, if not more, of people going to work of the whole throb and the pulse of humanity taking place, or whatever it is. There's a sense of something bigger than oneself in some way or other. And whatever the circumstances, whether here in the meditation hall, or in the walking, or being outdoors, or being indoors, or whatever. When we are touched with those experiences, one of the wisdoms 
which can emerge out of that is it can help and contribute significantly to put the ordinariness of our everyday life into a balance, into a perspective. So those experiences can contribute in a way that we don't inflate the self. We don't inflate the I and my into an exaggerated place in the vast scheme of things. So say, so here's one type of uh, person, there are a number of you who are sitting here in the hall who have and who speak about ranges and types and formations of different experiences which come to you in places like this and in other circumstances uh, of your life and they play a useful and invaluable role there. But other persons can listen, can listen whether it's small group inquiry or in other uh, situations and say to himself or herself, never had such an experience. I've been meditating, I've done X number of retreats, I've um, been out in the desert, I've walked in the jungle, I've climbed the Himalayas, <laughs> I've, sat, I've sat in a monastery, I've, I've done my seventh three-month retreat at IMS, and, um, and I hear all of these wonderful and marvelous things, experiences which other people uh, are having, and I can't recall in my entire um, <laughs> spiritual career one significant event that's really opened my mind or opened my eyes, etc., etc. <clears throat> and one can then, in the comparison, of course, there can be the elevation of the other into how lucky he, she, they uh, are with what they are experiencing and why can't I have the same, uh, what's wrong with me, I must be missing something, etc. My experiences seem rather um, ordinary and everyday and there's nothing dramatic going on in my um, um, inner life. And in that, the view, the opinions, and the description of that, in a way, can rather sadly um, and unfortunately um, undermine that quality of steadiness. So, though there's a recognition of the, the, the virtue, and one might, some might say the blessing of a range and variety of uh, unusual consciousness-altering, mind-altering, perceptional-altering experiences and the value of, of that, it should not be and need not be some criteria in life for spiritual life, spiritual development, spiritual evolution because in a way the God of spiritual life in the language we use is the wisdom, not the formation and the variety and the range of experiences which take place. And it's sometimes not easy to, for any of us to understand what the relationship is between the range of experiences and, the exper and what wisdom is. And it doesn't necessarily mean that because one has the availability to a, a range of experiences that wisdom does come from those experiences. And we have that in a way, from our, the authority of our own experiences, 
How many experiences have we had in life? And we have said in the midst of that experience, I've really learned something. I really understand something. I'm much wiser now after this experience than I used to be. And then one day later do exactly the same thing here all over again and repeat the history. And so it's not easy to understand what's the relationship between wisdom and experience. Wisdom is not necessarily the criteria and the impetus for experience. It's not necessary always that there is cause called experience and the effect is wisdom. And it's not easy to understand what is this wisdom about life and its relationship to experience. And that, I think, has an important part to play in so far as for those people, and again, a number of you uh, in the hall here, who, with hand on heart, would say, well, I've had no special experiences in, uh, in my life. I can't record anything which other people have spoken to me about. I, and all those mystical experiences which I've read about in the um, um, uh, religious journals and in the, in the mystical books and spiritual literature. Nothing of that order has happened. And therefore one says, well, what is the place of this steadiness? And in that steadiness which is, which is there, does that steadiness in some way of experience, which is not too much ups and downs in any form, does that really have to change? to find that which is God, which we are calling wisdom this evening. Does that really have to change? And that relationship to, to that can be, and in a kind of time-honored uh, spiritual principle, the steadiness of the mind. In a way, it's the great value of it is that the steadiness of the mind, in a way, is to forget it. It is to forget it. In other words, what that means is, from our uh, inner life, the potential and the possibility that for those who have a, a range of various experiences which are occurring, to actually measure spiritual life by the continuity and the ability to repeat or the ability to enter in that enticement into new experiences as some kind of criteria of one's evolution in the spiritual life. And the strict measurement becomes how many different experiences I can have, where, where they can take me, what can affect me. And for those who have the range of them in short and long retreats, indoors and outdoors, here and, and there, to be watchful and careful about, is one, in a way, living too much in the world of experiences? Using it too much as a criteria, because if so, one might be confusing experiences with what the wisdom, what the element of wisdom is. And as I say, it's not always easy to understand in ourselves 
What experiences transmute into wisdom? And what don't? Not always easy, even when we feel so assured that some wisdom has come from the experience. To give an example of what I mean. One form of experience which uh, arises for some people is in the process of the meditation there can be some sense perhaps initially of some contraction, some restriction. That restriction may be just by virtue of the form, having to sit in the same spot, literally the same spot, um, so many times uh, during the day, perhaps going to the same walking area, so many times uh, during, during the day. It can seem a bit confining and limiting, and it's as though one's existence is narrowly tied to the form, the form called sitting, the form called walking, and one feels rather enclosed within it. That enclosure within it might feel acceptably limiting, in some way. Well, this is it, this is how I am, this is what my experience is right now, an acceptably limiting. And then, through the course and process of things, something happens, quite uh, um, perhaps spontaneously and unexpectedly. And in, in that moment, there's a tremendous sense of spaciousness, a very deep spaciousness. And that spaciousness accommodates what the form of the body, it accommodates uh, any thoughts that are arising, the thoughts seem to arise and pass in a vast space of things. The feeling life and the heart life is being received and passing in and passing uh, th through there. And there's an a spaciousness which not only accommodating one's own finite and limited existence, but also a spaciousness which is accommodating the presence of others, and all that which touches our eyes and our ears, our nose, our tongue, our touch, whatever, in that spaciousness is accommodated, and it's an authentic, genuine, we call quotation marks, spiritual experience which takes place. It has important and rather profound um, um, indications to us, because if we have found and understood a wisdom in that experience, what would it, what would, that would mean that that inner spaciousness around things and around life and around forms then translates itself into a spaciousness around life itself. And it's not easy to know what is it, what's the relationship between, so we say, sitting and that expansiveness and... Uh, wide openness, uh, choiceless awareness of life, which all things are being accommodated in a certain depth and quietude of being. What is it that, even though the quality of that fades away in that experience, that makes, that becomes a wisdom. And the wisdom is the sustainable understanding of that experience. What is it that makes the movement from, as a meditation experience, with its um, maturing? And that maturing can take place in a single moment. It goes from a meditation experience 
to a mature understanding about the spaciousness of life, about life being able to accommodate itself and accommodate its multiplicity and its diversity. And it's, as I said, it's very hard to articulate, to get a sense of why one thing becomes wisdom, meaning clarity, meaning an understanding which is steady and at home, whether we're feeling some sense of form in our life or not. With steadiness, which has the implication of not too much movement of mind uh, going on, and we do find people, and it's a, a, a delight uh, to meet and talk with people who have, as a general world view and world experience, a certain um, stabilizing element within, within them. Persons not easily thrown off balance about one thing or by, by the other. Also, not significantly affected by the forms of retreat, by the type of meditation method and technique. And as I said earlier, it doesn't kind of report having some very special experiences or whatever. And the effect of that, what we notice when people come to talk with us, the person may come in and sit down and say, oh, Christopher or Shada, they come in, but actually nothing's happening. Actually, um, don't really have much to say. Can't, got no, nothing special to uh, report, etc. And sometimes a person can feel or sound a little bit uncomfortable about the simple description of what their experience is because it's not dramatic enough. Or they feel it in comparison to yesterday. So if the person came yesterday, might say precisely the same thing, comes tomorrow and next retreat and next year and next decade, and might still say precise same thing, actually, I'm okay, fine, steady, nothing's happening there. And that fine steadiness, nothing's happened, just being in the rhythm and the vibration of the situation like this, as I said earlier, is as significant, as valuable, as valid as those who have the range and the great range that's available of experiences one of them I just referred to, this sense of infinite, expansive uh, spaciousness. The steadiness itself has a relationship to something else. The steadiness is a kind of reflection of something else. The steadiness is a reflection of truth itself. Truth is steady. Real realization in life is steady. Wisdom is steady. Liberation is steady. The vastness, the immensity of things is steady. So there is a, a quality in one's day-to-day -day life, the inner life, which has, with the movement, of course, feelings and thoughts and states of mind, etc., a certain element of steadiness to it that may never change, that may be the characteristic feature 
and it tends to be confirmed not only through the way that we relate to our life as a person of this earth, but also the way that perhaps our friends or our family also might relate to us. They hopefully do have an appreciation that we're there's a steadiness about us in some uh, ways or other. That steadiness is profoundly significant because it has a relationship to truth which is steady despite all the fluctuations. God is steady in life despite everything that goes on. Wisdom, steady in life despite whatever. But it can be hard again to understand what is the relationship to ultimacy of things, which we call truth, wisdom, free life, however, and the mind which is steady. How is, is, is the mind, that steadiness of mind, some kind of child of something which is ultimate? That needs a kind of special kind of awareness, we might say. It's a kind of awareness which is needed, which is having to say to oneself, I don't want to sacrifice my steadiness. I don't want to engage or induce, which is possible, some kind of revolutionary, dramatic experience to come through to shape my inner life really up so that I really have some transcendental experience or whatever. One needs to keep faith with the steadiness, but, as I say, bring to it a certain kind of awareness. And it's an awareness which is not looking for change in the steadiness. Therefore, not in fact looking for a particular experience. It's as though sometimes we've almost, we've to kind of grow out of, for some people, grow out of experiences and yet not substitute experiences with concepts. Not substitute experiences with words, with language, with thought, with ideas. So therefore, it's not surprising, of course, that we do place, appropriately so, tremendous emphasis on the significance and the value of our experiences. That our experiences give confirmation to a great deal of life, of course, and we, and we hardly shift. And as we saw today with the inquiry, that um, when we begin to drift out, we need to be fairly ruthless so that we don't get out there into the realms uh, of concept and try to keep back as much as with our experience of our relationship to ourselves and each other in immediacy. So I say, what is this where I appreciate and acknowledge the steadiness, I need to bring to it a, a certain kind of awareness because just a steady life is not enough although for some people it would be very, very attractive, as we know. But a steady life is not, not enough. I don't need to try to change my steadiness into something 
uh, exhilarating and breathtaking and to some dramatic experience to confirm anything. I don't need that. I don't need either to get into words, into concepts or ideas. What's the awareness I need to bring? What's the awareness that I need, need to bring? Even with that, hopefully, clarity or intention, but the awareness I bring to the steadiness is not to affect the mind. Not to affect the mind. Don't, I don't need to affect the mind. What is, the, what is that kind of awareness? And the Buddha has said, spoken on these things far clearer than I ever could. So he said, to treat the awareness, the element of awareness, like a, an empty space. To treat the element of awareness like a mirror, which is just revealing everything. I don't need to have influence or affect what I'm mirroring. Therefore, I don't need to influence and affect the mind. Mind meaning feelings, thoughts, perceptions, state of mind, deep mind, um, absorbed mind, conscious mind. I don't need to affect any of, of that. And I bring to it an awareness because my, my steadiness is somehow a reflection of that which is ultimately steady and can never be shaken by any event. The very truth of things. The truth of things. Now, steadiness somewhere has deep, profound implications of itself. Quite often, of course, we, we don't bring that kind of awareness to, to that. And sometimes, understandably, if our life is rather um, up and down in various ways, we are quite glad and quite grateful for moments, times, hours, days, or whatever, of just feeling steady with life. And there's an appreciation that that's the emotional response to it. We're, we're glad that, that we can feel a steadiness which is there. We, for those where there's that continuity of steadiness, as a certain norm in one's day-to-day -day life, unfortunately, it brings complacency. Unfortunately, the danger is that we kind of get used to it. And we respond in that way, others ex anticipate that we do that. And we really don't give the inquiry and the care and the concern to understanding its other dimension. What it's the child of. What it comes from, so to speak, there. So moments of steadiness do, as I say, matter a great deal but that care that we don't become complacent with it, and the periods and times of, of exposure to experiences, where there are some experiences which are available to us, I'm talking of ones which we love and appreciate this evening, all those kind of experiences which we appreciate, that we shouldn't forget, nor undermine, nor neglect, the relationship that goes with it. What that relationship is. And what I've got in mind here is 
where we had some experiences which is out of the norm. Not ordinary, not every day, not every mi day mind. We are genuinely are touched by something, genuinely touched by silence, touched by st stillness, touched by, by uh, uh, the beaver in the creek, touched, touched by the presence of a lovely face, touched by the evening sunset, touched by men and women sharing a moment in time uh, together. Whatever it might be which touches us, that we can respond well and healthily uh, to that. There can be a genuine appreciation of that we can have certain understanding that those experiences, of course, come and go. We can have enough clarity with ourselves that we don't cling to it. We can have enough wisdom that we don't try and have it again because we see the force of spiritual desire can be as corrupting as the force of uh, consumer desire. And we, we can know all of those things and the exposure to the experience the experience is the feeling, the awarenesses, sometimes the content, whether it's called spaciousness, whether it's called the beaver in the pond, or whatever. But what's it really revealing? What is it the child of? What is it the, chi what is it the child of? What is it that makes it possible? And so, in the experiences which are open and opening and varied and expansive and uh, with wonder and joy and absorption and all that goes with it, all the language that you and I might use to describe such experiences, experience itself will come and pass, of course. But what's it really revealing? And the discovery of what it's really revealing may contribute to the wisdom which is steady, which stays steady in spite of the movement of our life experiences between the two poles called birth and death. So I say the opening expansion of experiences and the steadiness of no special experiences, but a, a steadiness which is uh, there, in a very direct way are the whispers, the intimations, the, um, the, the exposure of something else which makes it all possible, which we call, I call truth, call it reality, call it God, call it um, um, the supreme wisdom of knowing, So then the field of the, of the inner life and all the necessary care and attention that we give to it, the relationship to it can and does undergo change as well. That the experiences become less primary, less important for us because we're getting a whisper of something else. And plenty of time for those of you who have had many, many years and who knows, many lifetimes of exposure to contemplative life, to natural life, to spiritual 
life to Dharma, Dharma life, will sometimes say to yourselves and say to uh, ourselves, you know, I've you know, had all these experiences and I've been exposed to, to all of this. And the voice, rather wisely and appropriate, will say, but that doesn't seem to be what it's really all about. That doesn't seem to be it. And in a way, it's a rather accurate perception. And we begin to get a sense, while appreciating the range of human experience, the limitation of experience. Why? Because it comes and passes. Because it comes and passes, like everything else. And therefore, we say, comes from what? Passes back to what? And suddenly our life is not my life in relationship to me and all the, that goes with it. My so-called life in relationship to what? Not my experiences in relationship to me. My experiences in relationship to what? And that access to that, that, that with a capital T, that uh, availability to that, that receptivity to, to that, is equally important and equally significant for the human being, for the woman or man who has a range of experiences, which I was touching on briefly, and equally important for those who say, Christopher, I don't have any major experiences. There's just a general steadiness in my meditation, a general steadiness in my day-to-day -day life. Both are as close to truth, which is unshakable and unchanging. Both are equally close. And thus, when we're not so, say, concerned with our steadiness as such, when we're not so concerned about the mind range of experiences as such, there's kind of unfathomable awareness which becomes available, which is genuinely enlightening. And that's when speaking of an enlightened life, they're not speaking in um, some vague metaphysical, um, abstract, uh, th theoretical way. It's that one has understood something which is unshakable. That's in all of this, the exposure of life relates to something other, not to self. And even though we, we can speak of, oh, I have this experience. I have these experiences. I, am, I have a, a steady mind or whatever. Though we talk and communicate and share in that way, one has explored all of that with such interest and such love and quiet affection and tenderness towards the field of the mind, that it's somehow it relates to something bigger. Relates to, to, to something other, which, as I say, range of experiences or uh, steadiness equally can expose. 
that there is a danger in this kind of these kind of explorations that we in a way we get a bit lost in our experiences, whether it's continuity of the same or or the range of them. We we can get kind of begin to carry out an idea that we've got to get our mind in a clear, harmonious, perfect working order. We can get the idea that everything is to get the mind just so, in some way or other, which is going to be consistently very pleasing to ourself. And that's a rather a forlorn and hopeless task, because we've not really got round to measuring, well, who is this damn self that's um, determining all of this, that's deciding all of this, that's trying to get the mind just so. And so we begin to see that the field of experiences fit into something other. And that something other, so to speak, which is very imminent and intimate, is steady. No matter what the experience is, it remains steady, it's unshakably steady. And then knowing of that is the wisdom. To live with the wisdom is to live with the truth. To live with the truth is to live with God. To live live with God is to take the potency out of chain and therefore out of birth and death. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into life. May all, all beings abide in wisdom. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.